Well, welcome. It's so good to see you. Thank you for being here. So glad that you're here for the kickoff of this brand new season of ministry here at Northridge Church called All In. You, you didn't know it when you decided to come to church this weekend, but years from now, you're going to be able to say, I was there. I was there when the all-in movement began at Northridge Church. I was there when everything changed, when we decided to buy into the vision of waking the world up to Jesus and to go all-in. I was there. For the next five weeks, I'm going to be sharing about going all-in, what it is, what it means, what it demands, why it's worth it. And I'm going to be sharing my own personal struggles with it. Because the reality is going all in is not easy. Going all in is not natural in any area of our lives, but in particular in the spiritual area where we have to do it all by faith. But it ultimately, it ultimately leads us to where we desperately long to go in life. When we go all in, we finally experience everything we've been looking for. This weekend, I'm going to give you a bigger picture of what it looks like in the context of our mission to wake the world up to Jesus. And there's a lot here. There's a lot here. And I just am going to ask you to hang with me and try and take it all in. And then over the course of the next four weeks, we'll break it down in a way that helps you to make sense out of it for you so that you can take the journey all in. It all begins with understanding the consequence I mean, if we go all in, what's the outcome? What's the consequence? The question we have to answer is, what happens when a community of people actually wake up to Jesus in, in the fullness of the sense of that and go all in? Well, for the answer, all we have to do is turn to the Bible, in fact, to the book of Acts. The New Testament of the Bible begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and then it turns to Acts. And here's the context of the book of Acts. Jesus has died. He's been buried, and he rose again. And in chapter 1 of Acts, we find him giving a last couple bit of instructions to his, his followers. And then in chapter 1, it's pretty amazing, he literally floats up into the sky, you know, and an angel comes down and says, you know, the same Jesus who went away is going to come back the same way. I mean, that's all going on in Acts chapter 1. He ascends into heaven. But here's the interesting part. During the course of his ministry and life, Jesus taught and did ministry to, performed miracles in front of, literally tens of thousands of people. I mean, he fed in one event 5,000 men when you put all the children and women together, probably 15,000. I mean, just tens of thousands of people were exposed to his teaching and his ministry. But in the end, we find in the book of Acts, there were only 120 people who really understood who he was, who really bought into the idea that he was the Savior and the Lord that really committed themselves to him and made the choice to go all in. Only about 120 at the beginning of the book of Acts. That's crazy. And they were all gathered in a relatively small room, hiding from the world, fearful that what happened to Jesus when he got betrayed and persecuted and tortured and killed could happen to them if they went all in for him. And they were waiting for God to send his promised spirit, waiting for God to fulfill his promises to them. And they were praying and encouraging one another and worshiping. But it was these few people who were ultimately 
the privileged ones in the world. I mean, the tens of thousands who were exposed to him missed everything Jesus came to give them because they didn't go all in. But because those few, those 120 were all in, they experienced God's promises in all of their fullness. They, they experienced God using them to change the world. They're the ones we look back to. They're the ones we honor. They're the ones we remember because they're the ones that went all in. And what do we learn from them? What happens when a community of people goes all in? Well, life change happens. And this is something that's important. All of us know the importance of life change. All of us know failure and mess ups and brokenness and pain and hurt. I mean, we all know it. What we all need is life change. And it happens when we go all in. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we find that those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Shortly after the crowds screamed, crucify him and put Jesus on the cross, all of a sudden we find this small group of 120 all in, even though it was scary, even though it was a risk, even though it was outside of their comfort zone, they're all in for Jesus. And what happens? 3,000 people's lives were transformed. Their lives were changed forever and others' lives changed forever. Life change happens. And you just need to know, this is why Northridge exists. We exist to bring positive life change to every broken and hurting and lost person in the world. We don't exist so we can inconvenience you and throw a guilt trip your way so that you miss the Lions game from London and have to come to church. That's not why we exist. We don't exist to come and put some balm on and heal your wounds because you've lost six of the last seven games against the Spartans. That's not why we exist. For you Spartan fans, I'm wearing a shirt with green and white in it in your honor. I bleed blue, but I encourage you. I mean, there we go. So. But we don't exist for these reasons. We exist to bring positive life change into this broken world, to wake the world up to Jesus. But life change only happens when people go all in. It's just all talk until that moment. We, we find in Acts chapter 2 that what happens when, when a community of people go all in is that leaders change. Leaders change. And this is important because we live in a world where, where leadership has become an exercise of self-obsession and self-focus and self-compensation where it's the leader working to reward the leader instead of the leader working for the good of the people in the world. And but when people go all in for Jesus, all of that changes. See, Peter was once a self-focused and self-obsessed leader, but he became others-focused. He went from being fearful and a failure to being bold, powerful, and effective. I mean, he's proof that even after you failed and shown all of your warts and flaws, God is still willing to use you in a powerful way if you go all in. Because he did, and as a result, in Acts 2.14, it says, Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He was the first one after Jesus ascended to get to proclaim the message. He was the one God used to bring 3,000 people on the first day of, of the church to, to a life that was transformed. Leaders change. And it was true of every leader back then who went all in. They changed. Their whole direction and focus changed. And the same happens today. And we believe that God wants to use Northridge 
to raise up different kinds of leaders in our world. We believe that God has Northridge here to, to help train up and transform leaders in every realm, whether business or politics or education or medical or spiritual, because leaders that make a difference in this world that's positive come from people who are all in. That's what the church is supposed to be, all in. If a church really becomes all in, then you can count on the fact that churches will change. There will be church change. It happened back then in Acts chapter 115. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. It was a group of about just 120, it says. They went from a small group of believers, hidden away, afraid in a small room, inward focus, defensive, and without making any impact on the world, to becoming an unstoppable force. I mean, when they woke up to Jesus and went all in, they experienced everything Jesus promised they'd experience. They experienced the, the powerful coming of the Holy Spirit and all of his promises came alive. When they went all in for Jesus, they became everything Jesus said they would. They became the light of the world in a world of darkness. They became the hope of the world, reaching people from all cultures and ethnicities. They broke down walls that divided and all the prejudice. They began prevailing against the gates of hell that had owned this planet for so long. They went from being conquered to conquering, from in bondage to free, because they went all in. Because most churches are stagnating or dying in our world and not influencing people for Jesus, we believe that God wants to use Northridge to help bring positive change, not just to our church and community, but to churches here and around the world. But for it to happen, we have to go all in. All in's a big deal. All in changes the world. It brings about world change. When lives are changing and leaders are changing and churches are changing, the world can't help but change. Acts chapter 11, verse 21, after Jerusalem had been so impacted by the truth, they started moving north to a huge commercial center called Antioch. And it says the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. They started transforming cities that had been lost in darkness, consumed by self-focus, and they started becoming compassion centers because... This small group of 120 went all in. In Romans chapter 1 verse 7, we see it doesn't stop in Antioch. It continues on to Rome. And in verse 7 it says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is, the Roman Empire was ultimately consumed by the truth of Jesus Christ. Changed the entire empire of Rome. And it happened, why? Because there was this small group of 120, not tens of thousands that heard Jesus, but a small group of 120 who decided to go all in. So what happens when a community of people wake up to Jesus and go all in? They become part of something bigger than themselves. And isn't this what we as human beings long to do, feeling small in this world, incapable of making a difference? Don't we long to be a part of something significant, something bigger than ourselves? It only happens when we go all in for Jesus. When people go all in for Jesus, they go from living meaningless to meaningful lives. They discover fulfillment and hope, and it doesn't stop there. They then help others to find fulfillment and hope. They, they ultimately make a difference. When they go all in for Jesus, they become better people, and the world becomes a better place. Sounds to me a little bit like what church should be. It's exactly what church should be, but it only happens when people go all in. 
I just have to tell you, I want to be a part of a, of a community of people like that. I want to be a part of a church like that. Don't you? But to get there, we have to go all in. So that's the outcome. That's what we want. That's what we long for. But what are the characteristics? Because a lot of people talk about being all in. A lot of people talk about following Jesus full on, but, but they're not showing the signs of it, the characteristics. There's no evidence in their life. It's not being demonstrated. What are the characteristics? What, what really happens in the lives of a community of people who fully wake up to Jesus, who really do go all in for him? Well, the book of Acts tells us, the first church, which ultimately changed the world, shows us. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, of course, because those leaders were changed forever by going all in. All the believers were changed because they were together and had everything in common. Though they had for their whole life been heaping for themselves and building their own security, they started selling their possessions and goods and they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And you thought once a week was a lot. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What's the characteristic of a community of people who are all in where lives are being changed and leaders are being changed and churches are being changed and the world's being changed? Well, it's simple. They fully experience God's love and then they show it. They demonstrate it to others. They become sacrificially generous. When you read the verses in Acts 2 I just read, you realize these people are like any other people who build up for their own security and consume for their own benefit and yet when they experience God's love, they became sacrificially generous where they started selling their stuff so they could give to the needs of others. It's an amazing deal. What's it look like when people really go in, all in? What happens in them? Well, they fully obey God's truth and they tell his truth. They don't play the political correctness game. They don't hide and seek. They, they live it out, they obey it, and they tell it. As it says in Acts 2.42, they devote themselves to God's truth and then they share it with their world. What happens in a, in a church that goes all in in people's lives? What are the characteristics? Well, they get fully involved and they involve others. They can't sit on the sidelines. I mean, it says that every single one of them was invested in serving and involved. What happens when people really go all in? They're not just talking about it. It's not words. There's not just songs. It's not just a once in a while part of their lives. They become active participants rather than passive spectators. And if you look at church the way it's done these days, it's mostly a passive experience for most people. Most people are spectators. Come on. We call what we're doing right now a service. If I'm understanding things right, I'm serving, you're sitting. It's not a service. We've taught passive spiritual journey, but a journey by its very nature can't be passive. When people go all in for Jesus following him, they get fully involved and they involve others. They become active participants in loving others, in sharing with others, in serving others, and in giving. 
Of course, it's not happening in a lot of places. Why? Well, because if we're going to experience the consequence and if we're going to display the characteristics, well, then we have to understand that it flows from the choice. There's a choice involved in this. I mean, the question is, what's it take for a community of people to fully wake up to Jesus? What's it take for a community of people to go all in? If you're a guest here, I want you to know this is a different kind of weekend, very different. You're going to learn things about us that you really do need to know. But more often than not, we're not talking about these kind of things What's, what's, what's going all in really mean? You get to see it on the front end. If you're a part of Northridge, you need to know what it means to go all in. Jesus told us. Look at Mark chapter 10, verses 43 and 45. His, his leaders, his followers were competing with one another to be great. Who were they focused on themselves? What were they focused on? Their own benefit. They were consuming. They, they wanted to be great. And he looked and said, if you're going to be all in for me, it's going to change what greatness looks like. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And then he gives himself as an example, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life, to sacrifice his entire life as a ransom for many. What's it take for a community of people to fully wake up and to go all in? It takes a commitment to sacrifice together for others. It takes a commitment to sacrifice together for others. It's one thing for an individual here to sacrifice and an individual there to sacrifice. It's a whole other thing when a community of people commit to sacrificing together for others. You know what happens? You can change the world. If those 120 hadn't gathered together and made the commitment to sacrifice together for the good of others, we wouldn't be here today. That church wouldn't have changed the world. It would have been a bunch of onesies here and onesies there. But because they were willing to come together and surrender their soul individuality to be a part of a community and commit to sacrificing together, they changed the world. Going all in like that is what we long for. But we miss it because so often we don't go all in like that. Going all in requires a commitment to serve others together. I mean, this is obvious. We have to serve others together or else we'll never change the world because I on my own cannot change the world. But we together can create a synergy that brings an exponential impact that can only be explained by God working through us like it did with the early church. And you need to know this is what Jesus did. He made a commitment of sacrificing together for the good of others. He gave himself to the world. He was all in for the church. I think there's a more contemporary example that you might relate to. Here we are in Northridge today, and some of you are guests, first time here. Welcome, so glad you're here. Others have been here for a while, but most don't know where we come from. But what we are today as a church is because of the commitment of people yesterday. What we are today as a church isn't because of our commitment here today. It's because of the commitment of people yesterday. They woke up to Jesus and they went all in. And I don't share this story very often, but it's a story you really should know. 24 years ago, when I had the privilege of becoming the pastor of this church family, we were a hurting, struggling church. I mean, we had fallen on hard times. We had been in 35 years of decline over a generation of decline, a generation and a half of decline. It was tough going, and 
As the decline went on, what happened was we became an old church. We literally lost two generations. We lost the kids and the grandkids of the people who had been here, and they kept aging, and it was an old church. We're seeing that in a lot of churches these days. This one was way gone. And just so you can get an idea of it, because it's hard to relate to, you need to know when I came 24 years ago, it was 1990, and just to remind you of the context, you know, the Beatles had come to our shores like 30 years before that. We'd gone through the Beatle Revolution. We'd, we'd experienced the Rolling Stones. Barry Manilow had sung Mandy to some of you people and uh, Elton John had rocked the world. We'd gone through the sexual revolution and the hippie revolution and the cataclysmic changes of Vietnam. I mean, we were very, very different, but this church had clinged to its culture from long ago. I thought I'd show you a picture, some video. During the installation of me as pastor here, um, our average age was 60 at the church. I was 32, and this is what it looked and sounded like. Not much influence from the Beatles in that music there, huh? Elton John wouldn't have shown up. There's more people there than were a part of our church because the mass of the community came in to see what the new young guy was like after that day and most of the people in the church left they discovered what I was like and, and it was tough times there were few people back then who believed we had a chance to turn it around that we could become a church where lives would change again and leaders would change again and churches would change again and the world would change again we had our day and it was gone but in those early years we started communicating a brand new vision a vision that we could be in the future a place that God used to change the world if we went all in. And not everybody did. I mean, a lot of people, you have to realize, I mean, they liked their culture. They were comfortable in the language they spoke. They liked their traditions and their rituals. So much so that they were willing to see their kids and grandkids leave in order to keep it. Who cares about those as long as we're comfortable? But there was a small group of people who bought in. And they said, we're going to go all in. We're going to give up our culture and our comfort and our likes and our wants and our traditions. And we're going to sacrifice financially so that this can become a church that will reach this next generation. And the result, well, it's the same result that always happens when people go all in. It happened. It wasn't a large number of people. But all in, even in a small group we learn in the book of Acts, can change the world. And those people in that day who were buying in and making sacrifices, being uncomfortable but doing it in the name of Jesus, had no idea of the significance of that moment then. But they do now. They're glad they were a part of it. Which is why I say... Years from now, I believe you could possibly look back on this time and say, I was there during the all-in season. I was there when everything changed. We don't understand the significance of what we do today, but we will one day, either for good or for bad. Theirs was for good. Well, what has God done through the commitment of those people yesterday who gave up so much in order to go all-in? A lot of things. But I just thought I'd share a little bit of it from more recent days. I thought it'd be good for you to just understand the volume of impact that God has, has allowed this ministry to achieve. In fact, I'll just go back to 2008, just six years ago, through September of this year. 
and just give you some of the spiritual impact that's been had. When you add up all of our services and all those who have attended, we've, we've had an attendance of nearly 3 million people in the last almost six years. That's a lot of opportunity to wake people up to Jesus. That's a lot of potential for impact. But the spiritual decisions really tell the story. We've seen 6,726 people who have told us that they've taken their first time step of faith in receiving Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a lot. This from a church that had been in three and a half years of deca- uh, decadal decline. This from a church that hadn't impacted people from years. Now all of a sudden in a six-year run, nearly 7,000 people trust Christ. And spiritual awakenings happening, renewals, nearly 5,000, nearly 3,000 baptisms. And over 2,000 committing to being members here. I mean, we have just tens of thousands of attendees. But, but 2,000 saying, we're going to be a part of the core here. In the last six years, we've seen 16,389 spiritual decisions. Why? Because there was this small group of people who said, we're going to go all in for Jesus. And they experienced the fullness of God's promise alive in them. And they experienced God using them to change the world. And I want to be like them again. I want us to experience that. It's what the church is supposed to be. But it goes beyond spiritual decisions. You know, we're really making an impact in this world. I'm just going to talk about last year, last year, fiscal year 2013, January to December and what happened. It's an amazing story because a small group of people went all in. We, we last year, were sponsoring close to 2,000 little kids in two communities in Zambia, Africa. Because we wanted to show them God's love. Because when you experience God's love, you show it. We've seen that characteristic displayed already. And, and what's the result of that? Well, nearly a million dollars, $820,000 last year alone was invested in these two communities in Africa so that they can have water and they can have health and, and they can meet Jesus. Because a group of people here in Michigan, Northridge Church, decided to be compassionate because they experience God's compassion in their lives. And it goes so much beyond that. We also built two hospitals over there. And we gave, just before the 2013 thing at Christmas, uh, $2.5 million to build it. Why? Because they need to know the love of Jesus. And that's what happens when people go all in. But it doesn't stop there. We have some really crazy people. When people go all in, they do things that sometimes requires medicine. Seriously, I mean, we have some people that decided to go all in for Jesus to raise money for clean water for people in Zambia. They would run, I mean, I don't even understand these people. They would run a marathon. I mean, what's wrong with these people, right? I mean, they did it. They're called the Ridge Runners. And about 300 and some have run half marathons and marathons. They're crazy, and they raise money for clean water. In last year's fiscal year, it was $410,000 for clean water. But last week, they ran the Detroit Marathon. Look what happened. Right now, there are over one billion people who are living without clean water. They walk for hours to fill their containers with contaminated water and return home. This is the everyday reality for millions of women and children. 
For the third consecutive year, we've joined the race for clean water. And this past weekend, 300 of our own ran the Detroit Free Press Marathon, raising over $286,000 this year alone, totaling over $1,400,000 raised in the past three years. Thank you, Ridge Runners. Your efforts have provided clean water for over 28,000 people. Great job. That's what always happens when people really go all in. I mean, a small group of people can make an unbelievable impact, a million and a half. Are you kidding me? For clean water, to show people the love of Jesus. It's an amazing deal, and it doesn't stop there. It started way back when, when a couple of believers, a small group of us said, we're going to go all in no matter what it costs. And, and now people around the world are being impacted. This year, this last year, we invested all around the world, globally, I've stood in Haiti where the earthquake hit, where a church was leveled, and Northridge has been a partner in rebuilding that church and now caring for orphans there and reaching people for Jesus there, and it's happened all around the globe. Why? Because a couple of people went all in in the past. It's an amazing deal, and I'm just talking the global impact. We've done so much locally in Detroit, in this region of the world, in this community. It's been an amazing deal. We're an amazing church today because of what Jesus did. Without Jesus, just know this, nothing would be happening. He's the one that builds his church. He's the one that rose from the dead and can raise dead churches to life again. But, but it also happened because there was this small group of people at this church who, though it made them a bit uncomfortable, though it was a huge challenge to step up to, though it required a lot of sacrifice on their part, they decided to go all in yesterday. And so we're experiencing this kind of impact today. But, but, you know, their question's been answered. Their choice has been made. Here's the question for us. What, what, will, what will we be tomorrow as a church? I mean, what will we be in the future you know, it all boils down to and depends on our commitment today in this season of our ministry. Will we pay it forward or will we rob the future? Here's what I know. If 120 people hidden away in an upper room in Jerusalem could change their world, if less than 1,000 people who chose to go all in for Jesus at this church 20 years ago could, could result in what we're experiencing today, then we can't even imagine the impact that we can have if we go all in. I mean... I desperately long to be a part of something bigger than myself. I desperately long to be a part of something that can only be explained by God, where his promises are being realized and he's using us to change the world. And I believe most of you feel the same way, but what we have to understand is that, it, that in order for that to be experienced, we have to wake up to Jesus like they did. We have to make the choice to go all in. We have to commit to serve others together. It takes us all willing to step out and to serve inside the church and outside the church. And, and if we're really going to make a difference, we have to commit to sacrificing together for others. Because you see, you can't give water to those without water or medicine to those without medicine. You can't proclaim Jesus to people without resources. It takes each and every one of us taking a step into financial generosity 
And this is something God commands. It's not something I'm making up. There was a church called Corinth in the city of Corinth, the church at Corinth. And, and it was a pretty happening church. And a lot of stuff was going on spiritually. And their lives were being transformed in a lot of areas. But, but the apostle Paul wrote to them and said, you know, it's not good enough that you're changing in the way you talk and the way you live and, and all of that. The only way you can ultimately go all in is you also have to excel in the grace of giving. You, you have to be willing to sacrifice like Jesus did, like those before you did, excel in the grace of giving. And here, here's the reality. We all have a next step in our spiritual journey, a next step of service, a next step of ministry, a next step of growth. But we also each have a next step in giving. And I have to tell you, my story is a story that you might be able to relate to in this area because the next step in giving for me has always been a wrestling match. I wasn't born a, a giver. I was born a taker. I don't know if any of you can identify with that, but I wanted a lot, which meant I had to take. I, I wasn't like into letting go of it by nature, but then Jesus came along and he transformed my life. And what happens when he transforms your life is you start giving more and more and more of yourself to him. And, and so I started to have this wrestling match about giving. And it's been hard for me because it is hard. Every step I take in my journey of giving is a very difficult step because I've never been there before. And I've been on this journey a long time now and I've, I've gone a long way on this journey, but I have to tell you, wherever I've been so far, there's still a long way to go. And the truth is, Every new step is as hard as the step before. Because I'm stepping into the unknown. I'm letting go of more than I've ever let go of before. I'm having to trust God more than I've ever trusted him before. And, and that's why giving is such an essential part of spiritual growth. Because it demands that we trust that God's the provider. Our source of security and not our money. That he's the one that provides. And he's the one we need. And so we trust him. But each step is difficult. But when I've taken the next step. God has always provided. And I can tell you this, as much as I've, I've hesitated to take the next steps in my journey of giving along the way, once I've taken those, I've realized, hey, I can be as comfortable here as I was there, and I've never regretted it, not once. And yet, sadly, as I look around, many people, many of us, miss all that God has for us on the journey because we don't take the next step. And quite frankly, isn't it sad that we exchanged what only God can do in us to keep what God originally gave to us anyway? Stuff. That we limit our experience with God because we want to hold on to what he gave us in the first place. Do you know, not taking the next step in your spiritual journey is where regrets come from. The giving journey is hard, but it's worth it. Now, when I started the giving journey, I have to tell you, I mean, I had no pathway. I had no roadmap. I mean, no one, you know, it was just hard. You need to give. And then that was like it. It was like, that was hard. It was like going to a foreign country without a, a travel guide, a Frommer's book or something like that. It's like you're having to figure it out. But when you have a travel book, people who have been there before, you can know where the good restaurants are and where the streets are and how to get places. It can be, even though it's new and it's risky, it can be convenient. The same thing with giving. So we decided to put together a roadmap, so to speak, of what the giving journey looks like. 
And I've been on this path a long time and have a long way yet to go as well. But, but this can help you to understand what your next step might be. And we call it the giving journey. And, and all of us have a next step. And here's what so many don't understand. When it comes to giving, every single one of us have a next step. And when it comes to the next step, every single one of us are facing the same difficulty. A lot of people look at me and go, it must be easy for you. You've been on this journey a long time. You're a pastor, you know, he's given you a special anointing. And so it must be really easy for you to give. Well, if he's given me a special anointing, I don't feel it in the area of my money. I'm going to tell you that right now. And every step I take is difficult. Right now, Roxanne and I are wrestling with our next step to going all in financially. And we're wrestling about taking a next step that's been, it's just way beyond anything we've done before and way more sacrificial. And I have to tell you, like every other step I've ever taken, it's really hard. I mean, I'm having to just pray for faith and for, you know, confidence in this thing and, and to know, and I keep backpedaling and then know, you know, and, and, So wherever you're at on the journey, you need to know that the next step's always hard. I'm facing it as you face it. But what are the steps? Well, the first step is simple. You need to know the majority of people who call themselves Christians, the majority of people who attend Northridge, we're no different, have never given yet. I mean, they've never given. A majority of people who come have never given for the first time here. So what's the first step? It's easy to give for the first time. That's the first step. We're not even talking about a mountain. It's just give for the first time. It's a big step because sometimes the first step's the hardest, right? I've gone on some hikes and some rock climbs and stuff. And I'm going to tell you, it's like, I look and I go, you know, I want to go back to the car and listen to some music. It's like the first step's the hardest. Once you start taking step, even though each step is hard, at least you, you know, you know, you're, you're already got some momentum. And so to give for the first time can be so tough for people but it's the first step. Then there's a second step. Once you've given the first time, then you go beyond just a one-time event and you start giving at least occasionally. It might take some inspiration and it might be random and every once in a while, but maybe I give a good talk and you reward me by giving me a five spot. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You know, or you experience an event and it's like this and you're an occasional giver, but that's another step and it's an important step in the journey. But then there's a third step where you go from occasional and random and based on inspiration to intentional. This is where you go, God intentionally is faithful to me. I need to be intentionally faithful to him. And you start giving regularly and consistently. Maybe a percentage, like 1% or 3% or 6 or something. And you just say, I'm going to be intentional. It's a step on the journey. And then there's another step, the fourth step, which goes from intentional to tither. From intentional to tither. And you need to know, God basically says the minimum standard for anyone who ultimately goes all in for him is the tithe, to give 10% of everything he provides back to him so we trust him, the provider, instead of what he provides. He even says, test me on this. If you trust me enough to obey and you test me on this, you watch me show up. And you know what God promises? He promises that he can do more in our lives with the 90% than we can do without him with the 100%. That's what he says. And and we take a step. And it was a hard step for me when I finally got there. And said, I'm just going to obey God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe that he'll fulfill his promises. And it was hard for me to take that step. But you know what I found? He's true to his promises. And I've never regretted it. But that's not the last step. 
Many people stop there thinking that's the last part of the journey. It's not. There's another step. It's from tither to extravagant giver. This is the person who goes beyond the minimum standard and says, I I want to, out of generosity, out of what he's done for me, give beyond that. And you know what the neat thing about being an extravagant giver is? And Roxanne and I stepped into this many, many years ago, going beyond the tithe, but but the journey never ends because every step I take now is just a step deeper into the pathway of extravagant giving. And it's hard and it's difficult, but it's never been regretted, not once as we take these steps. I want to show you the whole journey. You can just kind of see it because the water falls at the top for a reason. You have God's provision all the way through. There's water, there's supply in the whole journey. But when you get to the top, it's a waterfall because that's where we really experience God's provision of the fullness of life we're looking for. And there's a trail halfway in the middle of that all the way up and you can see that little person in it and some people bypass some of the steps and go right to obedience, just the full thing. I'm just gonna jump all in that way. And, but whatever it is, there's a next step for you. And here's what I want you to see. We've been, as a church, blessed amazingly. Where we've been as a church has been amazing because of the all-in commitment of people in the past. But I want you to see that today, There is now no end to where we can go as a church family to the impact that we can make if we all make the choice to go all in. And so I'm laying this down. Now, if you're a guest here, full disclosure, you're seeing us, but we're not asking you for anything. You're a guest. But as a church family, we need to be challenged in this particular area because Jesus taught more about giving than anything else. And so here's our goal during the all-in season. We want to see the investment that we all make together at Northridge Church grow so that we can increase the level of impact we make on our world. It's a big deal. So our goal, and we're not big on small goals, we're big on big goals because we serve a God that parted the Red Sea. He's a big God. And so we're setting a goal to increase our present level of giving each year for the next two years by 80%. I mean, none of this incremental stuff. Why not go for the brass ring? I mean, we're serving Jesus, right? Because it's not for us. It's so that we can continue to make a huge impact in our world. And I want to show you what it looks like. I mean, a lot of people think about Northridge in ways that are wrong. Wow, this place must be rich. They must be rolling in it. They never ask us for money. They tell guests not to give money. Man, they must have more than they know what to do with. Ha! So what's the full disclosure? Well, here's what it looks like. Right now, our present level of giving is $11 million in a year. $11 million in a year, and over a two-year period, $22 million, $11 a year. And we've been there for about six years, plateaued. We haven't been plateaued as a church growing-wise. We've been reaching more and more people, but you know what happened in 08, right? The economy kind of suffered a bit. People's giving kind of faltered a little bit. And so the extra people have just kept us plateaued. We've been at $11 million, just for some of you to know. A lot of churches our size and even smaller have double, triple, and even quadruple that budget in order to do what they're doing. But we 
are grateful for what God's given us, that 11 million, 22 million in two years. And what have we done over the last couple of years with that? We've expanded our global giving, our global compassion, our local giving, our local compassion outside. We've skinnied down our staff, taken less to do the mission here, even while we've expanded to four campuses. It's been an amazing God thing, but we're now saying if we're going to really change the world, we have to move forward. So we're setting goals. 80% above that, 22 million. 3 million of the increased giving we think should go to operating the operation fund because we are very skinny as a team here and in what we do in our mission here. So we're missing some of the spiritual formation opportunities and the investments we can make in your kids and in you and this community that we need to make. And so our operating budget would expand by 3 million, 15 million the other increase would go to expanding our global impact. We want to help the poor and the broken and the hurting around the world. We want to expand it, not shrink that out. And we want us all to invest in it. And we also want to expand out our campuses. We're in Brighton and Celine and Grosseal. And quite frankly, they deserve to be able to have a place to meet so the community can experience them 24-7. And so we're looking for appropriate places to renovate for them. Just got one in Brighton. It's being renovated. It'll open in January. This will invest in that. Celine needs it. Grosseal needs to expand. And so the $15 million, And in case you didn't know, even here at Plymouth, we need a couple of things. We might have some traffic problems here, I'm not sure. I get here earlier than you, so I never have a problem with a parking place. But I mean, I I understand that there's a traffic problem and a parking problem. And we also have to make sure that we update and keep this building relevant in all the issues we do. And so our goal as people take their next step in going all in is to go from 22 million present level of giving over two years to 40 million over two years. To which some of you go, 20 million a year, that's a lot. To which I go, yes, it is. If I had that 20 million, I'm out of here living in Hawaii. Who cares about you if I've got that 20 million? But but when you think about the entire ministry and breadth of global impact we're trying to accomplish, we're being held back and this will move us forward to change lives. It's a huge deal. And realize this, it can happen easily, and I mean easily, if each of us takes our next step. 300 people running a marathon raised a million and a half over the last couple of years. Do you know what we can do together? It's easy. Sounds like a lot, but it's not in light of our size. Let me, full disclosure, there are 6,500 individuals and families who give at Northridge right now. 6,500 individuals and families who give in a church of about 20,000 who attend ultimately. Not every weekend, but in a month. All right. That means that way more than half of the people who attend here have a next step to give for the first time. I mean, and you're experiencing the spiritual impact of this place that comes from the people's commitment in the past. And it's time for all of us to step onto this journey wherever the next step is. But if you think about it this, we're profoundly grateful for those 6,500 who give, but, but out of those 6,500 who give and the 20,000 who attend here, there are just over 500 who tithe. 500 who tithe, who give 10%, and it's based upon a very conservative idea of median income. 500. And that sounds like bad news on the front end, right? But it's not, because look at what we've been able to become 
with the few who've said we're all in. It's amazing. It's really great news because that means if we all take our next step, we can blow the doors off the goal and our vision to wake the world up Jesus can be a reality. There's nothing we can't do in waking the world up to Jesus, to helping the poor, to helping the broken, to helping the people, to reaching the lost in this world, if all of us just take a next step and then we get to be part of what the New Testament church was, changing the world. This is unbelievable to me. And, and I need you to know right up front, because some of you, I can, I can tell, I, I, I've been doing this a while, I sit up on this platform, you don't know it, but I can see you out there, and, and, and a lot of you are really uncomfortable right now. You're like, crap, I got out of bed for this? Are you kidding me? The lions are playing. I just need to tell you, the reason the subject we like to hear about least is money is because of how important we've made it to our lives. We don't experience tension when people are talking about stuff that doesn't matter deeply to us, but we do experience tension when we're being talked to about things that are important to us. The reason Jesus talked more about money than anything else is because it's the number one thing we've replaced God with in our lives. And when we can start giving, we're replacing that God with the real God who provides for us. Some of you are newer to this place and you might think, wow, how often does he do this? Every day. No, I don't. (laughs) Giving's not my favorite subject to talk about. I like to talk about fun stuff like forgiveness and failure not being final and love and compassion and generosity and all these things. In fact, here's what you need to know. I don't talk about this subject enough. Do you know it's been 10 years, 10 years, since the last time I challenged this church to step up and take the next step so that this mission could be moved forward. It's been 10 years. I've paid some rent, friends. I'm not asking for people to step up in this area a lot. And it's time that God's people step up, take the next step, and make his vision come alive. I mean, it's really important. Over that 10 years, we've challenged people a lot to give to compassion around the world, to send it around, but not for the mission that's here. And I want you to know, as important as compassion around the world is, the mission right here is eternal. Hell and heaven are determined by what happens here, and it's a worthy thing to be investing in. And the truth is, the only way we can fulfill our mission as a church here and globally is if God's people give. And the only way we can genuinely follow Christ is if we ultimately take our next step in giving. And the only way we can be a part of a community that changes the world is if we give. And so here's the challenge. What kind of church do you want us to be in the future? What kind of church do you want us to be in the future? The, the past members of this church and attenders of this church have made their decision. And this is what we've experienced. Now it's on us. What kind of church do you want us to be in the future for your kids and for your grandkids? What kind of church do you want us to be for your neighbors and your coworkers? What kind of church do you want us to be for the broken and hurting people in the world? Do you want us to be a church that's two generations 
overdue for making a difference? Do you want us to become a church that reaches no one in this generation and it's comfortable for the old people but it's irrelevant to the young? Or do you want us to be a church where lives are changing and leaders are changing and other churches are changing and the world is changing because of the choice we made? It all boils down to our choice. Here's what you need to know. The choice is yours. What kind of church this will be in the future. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him, and, and he with me, and he's saying that to churches who had stopped going all in, who had stopped moving forward, who had stopped growing, who had stopped giving, and they had become selfish, and as a result, they were starting to die and stagnate, like so many churches around the world, empty parking lots, empty seats, no longer making an impact, no more kids, and, and he says... But I'm knocking on the door, and if you just let me in, if you, if you go all in for me, I'm going to be all in you. And I, I want you to realize the choice is yours. And though I'm challenged by God to give the talk, this isn't between you and me. You owe me nothing. This is between you and God. And to help you make the right choices between you and God... Uh, we've created uh, a roadmap, an all-in guidebook, not just for the giving journey, but for your spiritual life, how you can grow spiritually and how you can become more like Jesus. And, and I'm going to tell you, this is the most important spiritual formation, spiritual growth tool we've ever put in your hands. We have been working on this for months and months. We have written every word. We have invested in it. We have put it forward. It's over 80 pages long. And the whole thing is, almost the whole thing is a spiritual devotional for you where you can open up God's word and you can reflect on what God's truth is about your spiritual life and about going all in for Jesus and then you can kind of evaluate where you're at and ask reflective questions and there's four weeks of devotionals in here and I want to encourage you one of the big responsibilities I want to put on your table is to take this. When you leave, we're going to have our guest service people at all the different exits. And this isn't one per family. This is one per person. Every one of you get one of these. If someone you know is not here, take one for them. I mean, and then every day invest 16 minutes or so. We don't like doing things normally. 16 minutes would be right. And start reflecting spiritually and investing spiritually and make this a part of your lives. And then there's a place where you can put the outlines for my talks in here. And this can become your roadmap for taking this journey. It can change your life. Don't miss a weekend of talks. Start praying about your next step. And I know this. If you pray about the next step you're supposed to take, you'll make the right next step. You know who doesn't make the right next step? Those who don't talk to God about it. And some of you are saying, I'm not talking to God about that. <laughs> You're ripping yourself off. You're robbing yourself. The choice is yours. But the choice isn't just yours. Look at Luke 12:48, and we're going to move into worship. And as you know, we had a five-minute delay at the beginning of our service. We're going to move into worship. I'm going to invite the worship team out. And I want you to see Luke chapter 12, verse 48. It says... From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. Look around you. Look at the spiritual decisions we've been a part of. Look at the impact we've made in the world. Look at the compassion we're showing around. Friends, we've been given much, right? The sacrifices of that small group before has given us an unbelievable much. And now much is demanded of us. 
We've been given much because of their sacrifices. You realize we have the ability and the potential to see a multitude of people's lives changed, go from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus, to finding life and life to the full if we go all in. We have the ability to see leaders change. We're living in a world where great leadership is missing. It's so self-obsessed and self-focused. And I believe Northridge, and we have a vision for it, we have the ability to impact leaders. And I believe we can impact political leaders. And God knows they need to be impacted, right? We can impact business leaders and medical leaders and educational leaders and spiritual leaders if we go all in. If we don't, the world's going to keep going to hell and we're not going to make a difference in it. We can make a difference and we've been given much and much is demanded of us. We can help other churches. Church is the hope of the world and most churches are offering no hope but we can inspire and strengthen and help them them if we go all in and the world can change. Let's stop complaining about the world and start making a difference in the world by being that small group of people who go all in. The choice is yours but the choice is ours. We have to do it together. I know you can go off and do stuff on your own and give on your own. I get that. But do you know what happens when we make the commitment to do it together? We change the world because that's how God made it. That's what his church is about. Let's make the choice to go all in. And let's do it by worshiping the God who deserves it. Stand with us as we worship. And don't forget to get your book as you leave today.